All right, so last week we kicked off the book of Jonah. Um, and what I did last week is I gave you guys a formal introduction to this little fascinating book. If you missed last week, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. I want you to go back and listen. You can do that on our website. You can do that on our podcast. You can do that at our um, um, new YouTube channel. Just type in Calvary PSL in the search engine and you can have access to the message, Compassion in Action. And so in that message, what I did is I laid the foundation to help us understand many different things. For example, I laid the foundation about who is Jonah. And we found out that Jonah is not a myth. Jonah is a real guy. He's a real historical figure called by God to be a prophet to Israel in the 8th century B.C., We talked about who are the Assyrians. We found out from history that the Assyrians at that time were the up and coming world power. Um, They were um, uh, terrorizing nations at that time and they were known for their cruelty and violence. And then most importantly, we got a, a deeper glimpse into who is the Lord. Yahweh, the one true God, the God of Israel, ladies and gentlemen, is the true God. And so who is the Lord? Well, we found out uh, last week that he's a compassionate God who loves the whole world and he's not willing that anybody should perish. And so today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a deep dive into verses one through four and we're going to um, look at Jonah as he emerges as the prodigal prophet. And so right now, if you're looking at Jonah chapter one, verse one, just say amen so I know you're there. Here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so since God loves the whole world. Even polytheistic pagans who live in a city that is infamous for its sin, since God loves everybody, he called Jonah to go to Nineveh and to call out against it. Now Nineveh, as we learned last week, um, was the largest city at that time in the Assyrian Empire. After, uh, a little later from where we are in the Bible, it will become the official capital of the Assyrian Empire, and arguably, it was the largest city in the entire known world at that time, a massive city, some 600,000 people located on the east side of the Tigris River, uh, which uh, would now be modern-day Iraq. God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and how did Jonah respond? Let's look at verse three. It says, but Jonah obeyed the Lord and went to Nineveh. Is that what it says? Nope. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went, can you guys shout out the next word? As we said last week, that is the direction whenever we choose to run from God. And he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. God said, go, Jonah said, no, and he became the prodigal prophet. Um, The new uh, Oxford American Dictionary, it defines the word prodigal as, quote, a person who leaves home, behaves recklessly, but later makes a repentant return. I like that. 
What is a prodigal? A prodigal is somebody who leaves home, behaves recklessly, but then later, thank God, makes a repentant return. That pretty much describes the man Jonah. And so today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna focus on him leaving home. We're gonna focus on him fleeing from the presence of the Lord, or at least attempting to flee from the presence of the Lord. And then at a later time, later in the book, we're gonna focus deeply on his repentant return. All right, so after he received the call of God, instead of going about 500, 150 miles um, northeast to Nineveh, instead of going in that direction, what did he do? He went on this very long voyage, um, and it would have, if he would have made it, it would have been 2,500 miles to the west, the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And um, where's he going? He's going to what would later become in history called Spain. At the, during the eighth century BC, ladies and gentlemen, this would be like the end of the world at that time. And so um, Jonah's like, I'm out of here. I'm gonna try to go to the farthest trading outpost uh, there on the Mediterranean Sea. Jonah ran away from God. But here's what he didn't uh, take into account. Jonah did not take into account the fact that God was just as determined to get Jonah to Nineveh as Jonah was to run away. (laughs) So you have a battle of wills. God's determined. Jonah's determined. Now let me ask you, who do you think is gonna win this battle of the wills? (laughs) The Lord. He's a lot bigger and a lot stronger. As I said last week, you can run, but you cannot hide. Jonah could run, but Jonah could not hide. We're gonna look at the details of how God won that battle of the wills next week, but this week, what I wanna do, I wanna pump the brakes, and I just wanna focus most of our message on this question, and that is, why did Jonah run? Why did Jonah run? Tremendous application to where we are today. And so we can reasonably come to a number of conclusions, but number one, if you wanna take notes this morning, I believe that Jonah ran in part because of fear. Fear. Now, how many of you guys at times in your life deal with fear? Please raise your hand. Thank you. I'm so glad that we're a hospital Uh, for sick people and not a museum of self-righteous saints who come and admire each other for how together we are. You know what I'm saying? That's what I love about Calvary. I I want this church to just be real. I want this church to be genuine. And I love it when you guys are humble enough to admit, yeah, I deal with fear. I'll raise two hands, okay? We're all at some level broken people and we need the Lord. And how many of you guys know there's always better days ahead? There's always hope. And God's a God of victory, and he's a God who helps us to overcome our shortcomings. So praise God for that, right? Thank God for that. And so Nineveh, right, it's this large and intimidating city. And the Assyrians, what are they? They're cruel, vicious, and violent people. And so Nineveh was a scary place to go. And I think Jonah was afraid. So after hearing his call, I imagine Jonah thought, Nineveh, what? (laughs) They're the enemy. Why do you want me to go there? You know, God, what do you want me to do? Just walk into the city of 600,000 people and just start shouting, repent, repent. You know, what are they gonna do to me? What if they think I'm a religious fanatic? 
What if I become the laughing stock of the city? Or worse, what if they get mad at me? They're known for that. I don't want my body to be impaled on a pole. I don't want my skin hanging from their walls. Now, if Jonah entertained thoughts like that, he should have known that all those thoughts were just, listen to this, what if scenarios, which we're gonna find out later, had no basis in reality. None of the stuff that Jonah was thinking, if he was in fact fearful, and I think he was, none of that stuff actually came true. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know that multiple studies have proven that 85 to 90% of the things that we worry about never happen? Google it, you'll see. 85, and by the way, don't Google your theology, okay? Uh, but you can Google this, 85 to 90% of what people fear doesn't actually happen. You know what the acronym fear means, right? What it means is F, false, E, evidence, A, appearing as R, real. <laughs> fear, false, evidence, appearing as real. And so what we do um, is, is we, we uh, start to think, what if, what if, what if, what if? And what happens then is the devil has a heyday because the fear gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as we're focusing on the fear. And so what we should do and what Jonah should have done is we should focus more intently on not our fears but on the promises of God. Because how many of you guys know that God's really big? He's a lot bigger than any of our fears and certainly way bigger than our what if scenarios. And so in verse two, what does it say there? God's word says, arise Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before, what's the last word there? Me, me. In other words, the smell of the Assyrians' evil had ascended into the nostrils of the Almighty, and God didn't like the scent. In other words, what I'm trying to say here is that the issue was not between Jonah and the, Assy the Assyrians. The issue was between God and the Assyrians. Jonah was just called to be a mouthpiece. Jonah was just called to be a messenger to preach repentance to the people. And if he would just go, the Lord would be with him and the Lord would empower him every step of the way. God would give him his, his presence and God would give him his power. So let's make some New Testament application to what we're learning now in the Old Testament. Here's the question, please don't answer out loud, just answer in your heart. Do we allow fear to stop us from sharing the message of Christ with others? Right, well, 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 well. if I share, what if they think I'm a religious fanatic? Or what if I become the laughing stock of the family? or of the workplace, or of the neighborhood? Or what if they get mad and they never speak to me again? Okay, and so those are the what if scenarios that a lot of Christians have. Okay, so three thoughts come to my mind. Number one, most what if scenarios, again, have no basis in reality. You see, what could happen is that if you're obedient and you share that person that God's put on your heart, what could happen is that like the Ninevites at the end of chapter three, they may completely turn to, to, to the Lord. And wow, praise God, right? How many of you guys want to see people turn to the Lord? 
How many of you guys, how many of you guys uh, turned to the Lord in the past, right? So we want others to also turn to the Lord. And the second thought I have is that um, you're just a messenger. So the real issue is not between you and that person that the Lord is wanting you to witness to. The real issue is between God and that person. You're just a messenger. You're just a mouthpiece. And you just gotta share, speak the truth in love, and then you let happen what happens. But then number three, if you share with them, the Lord will be with you and the Lord will empower you. He'll give you his presence and he'll give you his power. You say, how do you know? From the word of God. Now listen, this is New Testament stuff right here. Jesus, the risen Christ, after conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave, before he ascends up to the right hand of the Father, he gathers his disciples. He says, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Here it is right here. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So when we obey the Lord and we make disciples, his presence is with us. And we know as born again Christians, we're sealed into the day of redemption. Our bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we know God is with us, right? Yeah. But not just his presence, his power the same resurrected Christ before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, gathered up his disciples. He said, you're gonna receive power. I love this. Because how many of you guys know that we can can teach and share and witness and disciple and I can stand up here and preach to I'm blue in the face, but unless there's some power of God, pardon the bad English, ain't nothing gonna happen. I'm just standing up here talking. But God says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. God's presence, God's power. But you may say, okay, I get that, but I just don't know what to say, Pastor. (laughs) I don't know what to say. I want to see them come to the Lord, but I don't know what, what should I say? Here's what I wanna share with you. If you're listening, say amen. Share your testimony, right? I mean, this is not that hard. And so what is a testimony? It can be broken up into three parts. Number one, who I was before Christ. How many of you guys, by raising your hand, you remember your BC days, right? So you can talk about that. You don't have to study or memorize anything. And then number two, how I became a Christian. How many of you guys remember that day when you became a Christian, yeah? And then number three, my life since my conversion. Uh, You could talk about that as well, how the Lord changed your life. And so this is, we're talking about just natural conversation. And one of the principles I really like is that as you're sharing in this natural conversation, as long as the door is open, just keep sharing. But if they close the door, if they put the wall up, don't be a bulldog and try to slam through the door. That's not good you'll do a lot of damage, okay? And so be respectful as you're sharing. How many of you guys know that no one can come to God unless they're drawn by the Holy Spirit, right? So let the Holy Spirit do his thing, and you might just be planting a seed. You might just get a little bit out, but you, at least you planted a seed. 
And so just, just began to share, right? And then here's the part where you should study and you should do some memorizing, but Got Questions has a great article called What is the Roman's Road to Salvation? Now there's lots of ways to share your faith with people. Uh, I personally have been using Roman's Road forever and ever, and so I, I like that. Um, and so that might be um, something that you can go and read and, and, and memorize these verses so that as you're sharing your testimony, you're making sure you're sharing the gospel of grace, right? Uh, you can, or you can go to our website, Knowing Christ. You hear us talking about that all the time. Um, different words than the Romans Road, but the gospel is there. The gospel is the gospel. I just wanna sh- uh, uh, encourage you guys that God has not, not just called pastors to make disciples, God has called, pardon the bad English again, all y'all, <laughs> to make disciples. And so let's, let's get equipped to do that. And, and I know some of you are thinking, that sounds a little scary. Yeah, did you guys know that the greatest missionary the world has ever known sometimes got afraid when sharing his faith? Did you know that God himself, Christ, had to come to Paul when Paul was in Corinth in uh, Acts chapter 18? And listen to what Jesus said to Paul. Don't be afraid, Paul. But speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. So why in the world did Jesus have to tell Paul not to be afraid? Here's why, because Paul was afraid. At that time in his life in Corinth, Paul was afraid and Paul was not speaking. So the Lord had to come to him and say, don't be afraid, I want you to speak. Why, I'm with you and the good news is, Paul, praise God for Paul, what did he do? He stepped out in faith, he trusted God's presence, he trusted God's power, and he faced his fears, he shared the gospel, and the rest is history. All this fruit in the city of Corinth. Ladies and gentlemen, if we'll, if we'll step out in faith, God will bless and there will be fruit. And then later, the apostle Paul told his young protege, um, the uh, young pastor Timothy, he said that God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. And then he says this in 2 Timothy 1.8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, please let those words sink in. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't ever be embarrassed, don't ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, nor of me his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works. It's all over the New Testament. Stop trying to earn your way to heaven. It doesn't work. Jesus paid it all. It's all over. It's even in 2 Timothy 1. I, I was like, whoa, there it is again. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And so let me encourage you. Develop some relationships with people who don't know the Lord. They need some light in their life. And then begin to just plant seeds with your lips and with especially your life. Just live in front of them the fruit of the Spirit. And the Lord is drawing. And then as he opens doors, listen, share the gospel as the Holy Spirit opens those doors and then invite them to church. 
I guess it's every other weekend, I'm not sure, but a lot of times we put these invite cards on your seats. This is not a reminder for you, oh, I gotta go to church next week. This is for you to actually, as you're talking to somebody, say, why don't you join me at Calvary this week? We'll sit together. Um, how many of you guys believe that the fields are white under harvest? That people need the Lord, right? And so all along the way, just be as compassionate as possible. People are drawn by love. Why did Jonah run? Well, we can reasonably come to a number of conclusions, but not just fear, difficulty. I mean, the rubber is really gonna meet the road right here. Difficulty, hard times. I want you to face it. Jonah, what God called Jonah to do, that was hard. That was super difficult. But here's the thing. Sometimes doing what's hard is the best thing for us in terms of our spiritual growth. Let me say that again. What God called Jonah to do was super hard. But sometimes doing what is hard is the best thing for us in terms of our spiritual growth in terms of us becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what Pastor Jeff Johnson um, said about this, a fellow Calvary Chapel pastor who's been doing this a lot longer than me. He said, God places struggles in our path, hard times in our path. You say, God does that? Yes. God places struggles in our path to help us do what? What's the word there? Grow. It's part of the growth process. And so Jonah needed Nineveh as much as Nineveh needed Jonah. Isn't that a great statement? And so what does that mean for application for you and I? That means that you and I need that difficult thing that the Lord has sent into our lives as much as that needs us. We need that. We need that difficulty. He says as we faithfully accomplish God's will, we grow in grace, slowly changing into the image of Jesus Christ. I read that uh, in Pastor Jeff's commentary this past weekend, and it reminded me of James. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, but let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, Lacking in nothing. What is James saying? The same thing that Pastor Jeff said. It, God brings these hard times into our lives. Why? To perfect us. We're not talking about sinless perfection. We're talking about spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. And what does he do? He, he's the one who sends those trials. And so the next time God leads us to do something difficult, we should count it all joy and move toward Nineveh instead of running away to Tarshish, okay? And so I just put this one more time on the screens because I want you guys to think of this in terms of your own walk with the Lord, okay? So let's forget about Jonah for a moment and let's just think about you. Let's just think about me. Has God called us to do something that's hard, but instead of going up to Nineveh, we've decided we're gonna take the easy way out and we're gonna run away? You see, if that's you heading across the Mediterranean Sea, here's what I want to say in love this morning. You're going the wrong way. 
Now, please don't raise your hand, please don't answer out loud, some of this stuff is a little touchy, but answer in your heart. Are you having marriage problems? Now I understand that it may seem a lot easier to call it quits. It may seem a lot easier for you to just jump in a boat and run away to Tarshish. But if you do what's hard, if you head towards Nineveh, you say, what does that mean? What I mean by that is that if you'll die to yourself and you start to really put in some serious work in your marriage, how many of you guys know you're gonna be blessed? It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be super difficult. Going to Nineveh's always been hard. But if you'll do that, God will, remember God's presence, God's power. How many of you guys believe God still does miracles today? He does, he does miracles in marriages. He's done it, yeah, we should, it's okay to clap in church, let's thank God right now for all the marriages that he's restored. Because listen, there's been some really bad marriages, right? Christian people, born again Christian people. How many of you guys know that born again Christian people can struggle? Yeah, we don't always have it all together. And yet they decided to go to Nineveh to do the work, to die themselves, to put in the counseling sessions or whatever, and God intervened. And, and listen, some of those really difficult marriages where they're far apart, now they're lovebirds and they're enjoying life together. That's the Lord. And so it's when we embrace God's will, even when it's hard, that God shows up and he begins to conform us little by little into the image of Jesus Christ. Now I understand that every marriage issue is different and there's various biblical principles, right, regarding these various issues, I get all that. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that we have pastors and we have elders to help you navigate through whatever it is that you're going through or we can refer you out to a competent Christian counselor but listen, get the help that you need. Are you having problems at work? That job that God called you to. Even though it may seem easier to call it quits, even though it may seem easier to get in that boat and head out to Spain, <laughs> right, take another job. Listen, if God's called you there, here's what you should do. Stay in Nineveh. Stay, plant your feet there. God called you there and just determined I'm gonna become the best employee I can be in this workplace. God, please bless me so I can be a blessing to my coworkers, so I can be a blessing to my boss, so that you fill me with the Spirit and I'm producing the fruit of the Spirit there on the workplace. God, just help me to, 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 to grow and blossom in this place. Is it hard? Yeah, super hard. But if God's called you there, how many of you guys know he can show up and help you stay there and do a great job there? He can do that, trust the Lord. Has God called you to ministry? You know, I'm getting a little concerned about our church because we're growing and growing, right? But we're, we're not really seeing a lot of um, younger people saying, God's called me to ministry. Could, would you guys, answer out loud if, if, you'll, if you'll agree with this, would you guys start praying that God would raise up some young men and women in this church to become um, people who go into ministry, would you do that? Would you start praying about that? It's so important. Has God called you to ministry? Well, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. But God will bless. Has God called you to go away to Bible college? Um, 
by the way, this is not in the notes, I just wanna uh, share this, but last Thursday was first Thursday, and um, Tiago, who uh, is over our young adults, he shared the word of God. Listen, he shared the word of God, and I was so proud of him because it was just like this pure New Testament doctrine was flowing out of him, and I was like, yes, man, praise God. Tiago's got a call on his life. Do you have a call on your life? Does, is God calling you away to Bible college? Is God calling you away to seminary? Well, it's hard. Of course it's hard. But if there's only one life, it'll soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ is gonna last. Soon, and very soon, we're gonna be in eternity, and we're gonna be partying with the Lord. And I don't want anybody in this church to have any regrets as far as what God's called us to do. So just step out and embrace. Listen, it's when we step out and embrace God's will, even when it's hard, that the Lord shows up and he begins to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so listen to this. It may seem easy or easier to run away, but how many of you guys know, because you read the rest of the story, (laughs) that Jonah is soon gonna discover that running from God is never easy. It seemed easier to go to Spain, but Jonah's gonna find out really soon that it's not easy to run from the Lord. Unknown to the prophet, right? Somewhere below the ship, in the dark waters of the Mediterranean Sea, there's this massive um, fish. (laughs) Here's the boat, Jonah's sleeping, and here's the fish, and the fish is just prepared to do whatever God wants it to do. And Jonah is about to face the biggest trial of his life. Why? Because he decided, I'm gonna run away from God. And so, man, it may have been difficult to go to Nineveh, but it's gonna be a lot more difficult for Jonah to become regurgitated fish food. (laughs) So let's really think about what's easy and what's hard. Listen, listen, I'll move on in a second. I just wanna say this. The best place to be in life is smack dab right in the center of God's will. So find out what God's called you to do, man, and do it. Why did Jonah run? Well, number one, fear. Number two, difficulty, right? Those are reasonable conclusions based on what we read in the text. But did you know that number three, a lack of compassion? Did you guys know that that is what actually came from the lips of Jonah the prophet? Look at chapter four, verse two, really, uh, verse one and two really quick. So what, is, what, what happens here is that after he finally goes to Nineveh and preaches, after they repent and they realize, uh, Jonah realizes, these people are probably not gonna be judged by God. Look at his attitude in chapter four. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and he said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He's like, I knew it, Lord. I knew you're a compassionate God. I know you're a loving God, and that's, you know what? I'm mad about it. That's Jonah. It's like, whoa, what's going on in your heart, dude? Warren Wiersbe had this to say about this part of the Bible. He said, Jonah had a wrong attitude toward the Gentiles. Instead of wanting to help them find the true and living God, he wanted to abandon them to their darkness and spiritual death. He not only hated their sins, he hated the sinners who committed the sins. I got one word for that, yuck. 
That's a yucky heart. <laughs> what in the world's going on in his heart? What in the world's going on in some of our hearts? When we don't emulate and reflect the compassion and love of God to people who need the Lord. You see, instead of reflecting God's character, why, right? What is God's character? God's character is loving the unlovable. If you guys heard that, can you say amen here? What is God's character? God loves the unlovable. Listen, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, God loves the unlovable. Instead of reflecting that, emulating that attitude, Jonah became hateful and harsh towards people who were different from him, from people that he didn't like. And what's so sad is that Jonah would have loved it if God would have just wiped out the Ninevites. He would have went like, yeah. What is that? That's a yucky heart. This reminds me of the story of, of the sons of thunder, James and John, um, and their attitude towards the Samaritans, okay? And so in, in the times of Jesus, there was this great animosity between the Jews and between the Samaritans. There was racism in the Bible, absolutely. And so, quick history lesson. Who were the Samaritans? The Samaritans were the descendants of the marriages between the Assyrians and the Israelites, you see, after the time of Jonah, if you fast forward to 722, make sure I got that right, 722 BC, what happened was that the Assyrians came and they finished the job, they conquered and they captured all 10 of the uh, northern tribes of Israel. And then a lot of the Assyrian men, what did they do? They moved into the area where the tribe of Ephraim and the half tribe of Manasseh there in Israel used to be before the Assyrian captivity. Assyrian men moving to Israel. Then what did they do? Um, well, some of the ladies who weren't taken captive to Israel, um, to Assyria, and were still in Israel, these Assyrian men married with these Israelite women and what happened? They had babies and those babies grew up and had babies. And so because of these intermarriages between the Assyrians and the Israelites, in Jesus' day, they're called, and before Jesus' day as well, they're called the Samaritans. And so in Jesus' day, they lived between Galilee and the north. So if you see Galilee in yellow, can you say amen? And they lived um, between uh, Judea in the south. If you see Judea, can you say amen? And, and then you got Samaria in the middle. This is the descendants of the Assyrians and the Israelites getting together. So, you have Jews in Galilee. You have Jews in Judea. And you have what some of the Jews of that time who had a problem with racism, what they would call in the middle are the half-breeds, the Assyrians. And the Bible says in John chapter four that the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And so what some of these people, Jews would do if they lived in Galilee and it's time for a, a feast in Jerusalem, instead of going through Samaria, they would cross over to the east side of the Jordan River into the Decapolis. They would go all the way down into Perea. They're not going into Samaria. And then, right around Jericho, they'd cross back over and they head on into Jerusalem for the feast day. Now, how many of you guys know, because you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus had no problem traveling through Samaria? Don't you love that? Listen, this is one of the reasons we love Jesus. No problem at all. 
Samaritans, yeah, let's do it. How many of you guys have been watching um, The Chosen, right? You saw the woman at the well episode? That'll bring you to tears, man. And so here's what you need to know. Um, Jesus, when he traveled, he would often send advanced teams into these different areas to make preparations. And so he sent an advanced team to a certain Samaritan village, and it did not go well for some of his Jewish disciples. These Samaritans, because a lot of them were racists as well, they looked at these Jews and they're like, we don't want Jesus here, slam the door. Now, do you guys remember the response of James and John to the Samaritans? Check it out, Luke 9, 54. After they got the door, proverbial door slammed in their faith at this uh, um, Samaritan village, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? You know, if these Samaritans don't want us around, then, then let's just take them out. Kill them, Lord. Fry them, Lord. Destroy them, just like we see in Elijah's day. Now, here's the thing. I don't have time to get into this. The problem is that Elijah's situation was so different on so many different levels than what James and John are going through. And so James and John were wrong to try to fit in this story from the Old Testament into their context. Let me just say this as a quick side note. Make sure that before you take something out of context, just know that if you take that out of context and you try to shove that into your situation, that you You could damage yourself and you could damage a lot of people. Keep the Bible in the context where it is. Rightly handle the word of truth. Don't use this as a weapon to try to hurt people. It doesn't work. And so look at Jesus' response to the sons of thunders. Uh, He goes, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. The son of man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to do what to them? And they went to another village with James and John's heads hung low. Hey, James and John, I'm not into frying people. I'm into loving people. And I'm into into saving people. Now, you know, the way that some professing, professing Christians are acting these days towards different issues that are going on in our culture. Did you guys know that a lot of Christians are blowing it? They're blowing the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ by the way they act on social media, by the way they talk at work against certain people, and different issues, the way they talk in their small groups. A lot of people, a lot of professing Christians, they're absolutely blowing it. You know why? Here's why. I said this in one of the services last week. Because they're allowing their worldview to be shaped by the news media as opposed to allowing their worldview to be shaped by the word of God. And here's the problem. The problem is that some of the people, not all of them, but some of the people in the news media are very angry and they're yelling. Some of them, you see veins sticking out of their neck, they're so mad about whatever issue it is. And they've resorted to name calling and personal attacks. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. We have nothing to do with that in this church. 
nothing to do with that. That is not our spirit. That is not our attitude. We're not going down that road. What road are we going down? We're gonna love people. The question is, have we forgotten the two great commandments? Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And those two commandments were in the Old Testament, written some 700 years before Jonah. And so Jonah knew better than to be hateful and harsh towards the Assyrians. He had the word of God in his day. He knew he's supposed to be loving people, and yet he was hateful and harsh toward the Assyrians. So what's our attitude toward people who are different from us? What's our attitude towards people who disagree with us? Are we really keeping the two great commandments? Or are we so distracted by all these different issues and so angry and so upset that we're having the attitude of James and John before they got sanctified? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? If this, is, if this is making sense to you guys, can you say amen, right? And so do we really love people? Do we really love people who come from a different nation or culture than we do? Do we really love people who have a different skin color? Do we really love people who have different political views? Ooh, it's quiet right there. <laughs> Do we really love people who ascribe to a different religion? We're supposed to love them. Do we really love people like the Assyrians who are notorious sinners? Ladies and gentlemen, this is the spirit of this church. Listen to the word of God. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. That's where it's at right there. God loves everybody. And so we should love this God, right, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We should love our neighbor as ourselves, and we should seek to lead them to Jesus. Why? Because by far the most important issue is not these side issues. By far the most important issue is that people get reconciled with God. That's the most important thing. And that only happens by the blood of Jesus Christ. But if we keep letting all these side issues get us angry and get us mad and get us like James and John, we're gonna blow our testimony. And these people, listen, they're not gonna hear the gospel from us. And so Jonah got on the boat and he and the crew sailed out into the Mediterranean Sea. And now we see verse four, that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And so what we see here is because God was just as determined to get Jonah to Nineveh as Jonah was to run away, what does God do? God sends a storm. Now, unless, or um, I don't want you guys to get the wrong view of God, okay? So here's what did not happen. It's not like God is sitting up in heaven, right? And he sees Jonah and the guys in the boat moving out. And instead of going up to Nineveh, or at least in that direction, they head towards what's later known as southern Spain. And God's like, no! And he takes his fists and boom on the Mediterranean Sea. Or, you wanna run away? You're gonna pay! Right? And he's like, the boat's like, no, listen, some of your earthly fathers may have acted that way. And by the way, if you grew up with an angry, hurtful, unloving dad, please don't project that image onto our heavenly father. Don't do that. That's not God. 
That's not the way God operates. God is not some irate um, tyrant in the sky who gets so angry he loses his temper. No way. And that leads you to your last point this morning. And that is the Lord didn't send the storm to pay back Jonah. He sent the storm to bring back Jonah. You see the difference there? Listen, we gotta represent the Lord correctly. And so this wasn't the work of an out of control, irate God, this was the work of a loving, merciful God who will go to great measures in order to bring his wandering children back home. So why does the Lord sometimes, I'm not saying that every storm is like this, okay? Don't don't mishear me. Why does the Lord sometimes bring storms into our lives? Because he knows what's best for us. Because God knows that when we run from him, this is important here, God knows that when we run from him, we're running from the source of everything that's good. When we run from him, we're running from the source of everything that's good. What is that? Think about God's power, think about his presence, think about his provision, think about his protection, think about his prudence, his wisdom, right? I go on and on and on. And so he knows, hey, this person, my, my loving child who I love so much, they're running away from me, and so I'm not gonna send a storm to pay them back, I'm gonna send a storm to bring them back in love to the source of everything that's good. And what is God? God is, among many things, the source of everything that's good. He's the source of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's our God. And I hope that the second message in our series kinda helped us get a correct biblical worldview of who the Lord is, and I hope that it's gonna encourage all of us to rightly reflect the heart of our Father as we intermingle with other people.